Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 118, with Carlos Salerno, VP for Research at Campus Logic. Uh, so, this is a really amazing episode. Uh, we talk about uh, the work that Campus Logic does, but uh, get right into uh, the big topics when it comes to college student financing, uh, debt forgiveness, free college, all that good stuff. Uh, really appreciate just the uh, amount of knowledge that Carlo is bringing to this conversation and his thoughtfulness uh, and really getting into the nuances of it all. Uh, it's a very complex issue and uh, it's really going to re- require some complex solutions. So uh, it is uh, just a really relevant and timely conversation uh, as those sort of uh, issues are grabbing headlines uh, and just kind of thinking about the future of how uh, students will finance their education, how we can try to simplify things uh, and just make, you know, everything uh, work better for everybody. So uh, really appreciate uh, Carlo's time here. Uh, go connect with him to keep the conversation going. Another quick note, there's an awesome sale going on right now at the merch store. Uh, find that in the uh, description of this episode. Also check out our Patreon uh, if you want another way to support the show. But without further ado, this is episode number 118 with Carlos Salerno. Well, I'm excited because uh, now this season, I think this is a, our second episode kind of focusing on uh, student finances. Obviously, it, it's a topic that absolutely warrants uh, further discussion. I'm really excited to um, just dig in deeper with it. But um, Carla, we'll start out as we always do. If you want to introduce yourself and give an overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. My name is Carlos Salerno, and I am the vice president of research at Campus Logic. Uh, I'm an education economist. I have been a PhD trained and have been working in the space for about 22 or 23 years now. So um, I spent a little bit of time working for the federal government at the, at the Government Accountability Office, doing higher education research for the Congress. Uh, in a past life, I also had my own education analytics startup company and I spent some time uh, also in the entrepreneurial space working on uh, income share agreements and uh, also working with a number of industry groups, whether they be uh, student loan providers or uh, institutions themselves. Uh, Also done a lot of policy work and sort of contracted analysis for advocacy groups, financial aid organizations, anything that really promotes student financial success, financial aid access. Those, those challenges around, you know, why people uh, struggle to get into college, get through college, get out of college and how to pay for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, I know uh, just with that background, like you just are very immersed and knowledgeable about all this. I'm very excited to, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, dig in deeper here with you. So um, just to kind of... Um, kind of get the context for where you are now. Um, if you want to really quick, just explain a bit about what Campus Logic does, and then we'll kind of go in uh, with just sort of the broader topic of, uh, you know, college student finances. Sure. So so Campus Logic is a uh, software company. It's based in Chandler, Arizona, which is in the Phoenix suburbs. You know, basically what, what Campus Logic does is it provides a lot of backend, you know, underlying support to help smooth uh, the financial aid experience, as I like to think about it. We, we're, we're not a, a consumer-facing organization. We help financial aid offices in particular sort of manage and process uh, the flow of financial aid. We help, we help things like we provide access to um, net price calculators. We have a scholarship engine. Uh, we help schools process things like verifications, 
Um, we, we, we do a lot of that backend work that again, like I said, like helps keep the focus on learning for students rather than getting financial aid. So we, we, we smooth things. So, and, and we have a wide, we have a wide array of services and probably work with, I'm going to say at least in excess of 600, you know, college campuses today. Awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear just uh, the focus and just sort of that outcome, like you said, that students are able to uh, focus uh, focus more on their studies. Because I think uh, anybody working higher ed uh, probably knows for students that that's always something that's kind of hanging over their heads one way or another is, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, finances of either, yeah, like funding their degree or just certainly any of the other number of expenses that students will have and right. working and balancing everything. So, um, you know, certainly, again, it is really just like a big topic of conversation. I think there's a lot of uh, nuances and we'll try to hit on as much as we can uh, there and the different aspects of uh, college student financing. Um but, you know, just, you know, we'll start really broadly and start to zoom in. But like, what is your take kind of on the overall landscape for students right now in terms of like what you said of like getting in, staying in and, you know, eventually graduating when it comes to, you know, students figuring out financial aid and all those different pieces? Uh, good question. I mean, I think I think it's hard. I think I think for the typical family today, uh, figuring out how to pick the right college, figuring out what they can afford figuring out how to navigate the entire financial aid experience itself uh, and, and sort of manage that amidst the academics and basically all the other life experiences that people have that go around the college. I think it's hard. I think, I think getting, I, I think immersing the college experience in someone's life today is challenging and it's difficult. And while we try to provide students with lots of resources to help smooth those things, we being sort of just the the larger higher education industry, I think sometimes we probably get underneath our own feet and end up maybe tripping people up rather than helping them. And I think for the moment, you know, as if, if, if you walk through the experience and you think about the shopping phase, there's lots of different resources that people can use. They have different levels of, of trust attached to them. And you have a financial aid experience which has lots of resources available, whether they be grants or scholarships or loans or work study. Um, but finding out about those things and understanding the pros and cons of different options and trying to sort of piece all of those together into something that becomes a financing plan is probably a lot harder to do in practice than it looks on paper. And so I think at the moment, you know, most people feel like, um, you know, we people are still in the mindset that they need to go to college and that a college education has some intrinsic value. And it does. Economists will tell you that it's a really good bet, you know, on average. Right. And so I think, you know, while folks believe that they need a college education, I think there's an increasing level of frustration as prices go up and the complexity of figuring out how to pay for college gets worse, not better, there's a lot of folks who have a lot of frustration about paying for college. And that cascades into other problems, most notably completion, right? It's hard to, it's hard to focus on completing your college degree when you're struggling year in and year out to figure out how to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just the words that you're using, like hard, complex, frustrating, all that, you know, like that is really just, you know, uh, just emphasize those because yeah, I mean that that is how I describe kind of the current state of affairs right now. And I think uh, it, it's even just the idea with like the the complexity or just like the sometimes lack of 
guidance. Like I'll have students sometimes that I've worked with where like they get, yeah, like tripped up, like you said, and like they filled out the wrong FAFSA and that negatively impacts their ability to persist, you know, or like start the program. They have to like defer or they like, you know, yeah, like just got confused and did something wrong. And that just, you know, one little grain of sand kind of threw off the whole system for them. Uh, So it's like, you know, for all intents and purposes, like, oh, just fill out the other form. But like, you know, the timing of which they do that and the timeliness of them, like knowing that they have the aid that they need to be able to uh, move forward and everything. It's just like, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of uh, where things are. And just it's, it's, it's a shame that obviously like uh, that's how it is. And uh, I mean, I'm thankful, <laughs> you know, there's uh, folks like you and Campus Logic, uh, you know, trying to support that. But like, and it's it, it's also like reassuring that I think it it is now I think just very painfully aware to, you know, the powers that be that that is how things are. And, you know, I think some uh, folks earnestly trying to, uh, you know, make things like the FAFSA a little bit more simple. So, um, um, but I guess that, you know, we'll we'll spend a little time on that. I mean, that's really like the uh, really a a bit of the crux of it, of like seeing that connection between, you know, students being able to navigate these systems uh, to fund their degrees and, uh, you know, their enrollment and their success and, you know, eventual graduation, stuff like that. So I guess just, you know, take that as you will. Like, how do you, what do you see as the connection between those things just to really put like a finer, bolder uh, point on this? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like any anecdotes or stories or just things that you've seen in your work that yeah. uh, really kind of make that clear. Well, I mean, again, right, like we, we can't have paying for college uh, getting in the way of getting something out of college. Right. And a good way to think about it, right, is to sort of think about, you know, there are other things in life that we buy where we have to debt finance them and we have to invest a lot of money. Right. Like most people, most people who buy a new car. Right. uh, You know, the typical new car probably comes in at around twenty eight to thirty two thousand dollars, I think, in financing. Right. For, For some for some folks. Right. That's pretty much in line with what the average student leaves with a bachelor's degree in federal student loan debt. Like we, we borrow for homes, which, you know, um, you know, there we're taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And we do it with loans and we actually do it really easily. Right. There are apps, right. There, the, the experience is very seamless. It's very, it's very user-friendly. You can provide your information. Uh, you can do it at the touch of a, you know, the touch of your phone, you know, or if you go to a car dealership, for example, right, like car dealers have gotten really good at, you know, helping you not only figure out, you know, what you can afford and how much debt you can take on, but doing the due diligence of like getting the paperwork managed and checking all the boxes and getting you into a car within like three or four hours. Right. And then contrast that with like buying college today. Like you said, right. I have to fill out a FAFSA. And then after I fill out of a FAFSA, I have to wait weeks and I'm going to get some kind of form back from the government telling me what I may or may not be eligible for. And I may use a net price calculator while I'm shopping that'll sort of give me a sense of how much, you know, an education will cost, but I won't really know until they accept me. And then they accept me and then they're going to send me a financial aid award and I have to pick and choose amongst the different options there. And amidst all of this, maybe I'm also simultaneously applying for state grants, or maybe I'm also applying for private scholarships. And so some of those may hit, some of those may not. Um, You know, I I may not find out till June, July, or August that I got a scholarship or I got a state grant. Uh, And then when I think, oh, great, I did get one of these things, and it's going to make 
paying for college a little easier. I may then find out afterwards that, oh, hey, by getting this grant, somebody else reduced my award someplace else, right? Because I had apparently a last dollar scholarship. Mm. And so, and then amidst all this, there's verification challenges and there's getting your money and processing your paperwork. And all of that happens just in the course of one academic year. And then I have to redo this process every single year. And if I'm a bachelor's degree student, Right. That could be five or six iterations, potentially. This, If I go to graduate school, I could have to do this eight or nine years, this process of completing forms, guessing how much it's going to cost, you know, applying for different sources of aid, finding out at different times when they're going to hit or not. That's an awful lot of uncertainty for something that, again, you know, in other markets where we take on 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 thousand dollars worth of debt. We're able to button all that down in hours and people can walk away with an asset and they can walk away with a financing option that's clear and transparent and college just feels anything but. And so that's the complexity that we see when we talk about student financial success and and college, you know, paying for college, getting in the way of getting something out of college. When every single year you have to sort of navigate this, this minefield of of the financing process, like even the savviest consumer is going to trip up, right? They're going to miss a deadline. They're going to slip on something. They're going to make a mistake in paperwork that could delay things sometimes weeks or months. And so we, we can't have, we can't have the financing system defeat the purpose of why you're financing it to begin with. Does that make any sense? Um, absolutely does. I mean, you're talking about just all this stuff too. I'm just like, wow, I'm grateful I've not had to fill out the FAFSA for, uh, I guess, just, gosh, like, I mean, six years now, I think, or seven years. Because, right. um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just is like, yeah, the idea of the frequency of it and also that like the onus is entirely on the individual student to navigate these complex systems. And yeah, it all, all it takes is one sort of even, yeah, just fumble. And it, the, the timeliness is what I kept thinking of where it's like, yeah, you do everything right. And sometimes like beyond your control, you know, there's a delay in things processing. And if you really need that financial support, especially if you're, you know, depending on it to buy uh, textbooks or other school supplies, then I've even seen that where it's like, it's, it's just a matter of time, you know, like it right. just, you know, that gets in the way and a student changes their plans because of that. But I guess something else I'm curious about with this is, you know, sometimes it is just navigating these systems, but I'm curious how much, because um, I think it, it may be, you know, more or less, I guess, relevant here, but I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts, but like, you know, where a student chooses to study, how much that institution costs and, you know, what program of study that they are uh, pursuing, like, you know, cause it could be like, depending on like, oh, you're choosing to go here, it's, you know, more expensive and you're studying this, which the sort of like earnings potential and those sort of things. Like, do you see that kind of factoring in at all in terms of just like, yeah, I don't know, obviously, you know, the idea of like taking yeah. on debt for something and like the the kind of return on that investment. So it's a good question. And I think it's actually an important explainer to why people sometimes make the borrowing choices that they do when they're mm. in college or thinking about college, right? Like, I don't think anybody goes to school thinking they're going to fail, right? Nobody thinks I'm going to enroll in college and most likely drop out. Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks that if they're going to go to school for engineering, they're not going to come out with an engineering degree. And anybody who thinks they're going to get an engineering degree doesn't think they're going to wait six months to a year to get a job after they graduate. They think they're going to get a job right away. 
and they think they're probably going to get well paid for it because they think they care about this and they love it and they think they're good at it, right? People don't bet against themselves. We're not designed to bet against ourselves. We're not designed to take the default position that we're going to fail. And that's important because if I'm in college and I'm a freshman or a sophomore, or maybe I'm just 18 or 19 years old and just transitioning from high school, right? Like, imagine for a second that I have this sense that I think, oh, well, engineers make $120,000 a year. And, oh, wow, like if I'm going to make $120,000 a year, maybe I can afford to borrow a little more right now because I'm going to earn all of this money. And, you know, maybe those engineers will make $120,000 eventually, but chances are when I leave school, I'm not going to make $120,000. I'm only going to make maybe $50,000 in my first job. Eventually, I may creep up to that, but that also means that I have to graduate. And we know that, you know, almost half of students uh, these days struggle to even graduate. We know that the typical timeline for getting a job can sometimes be months rather than weeks, which is why like the federal government gives us six months before we have to start repaying on our student loans. And so the point of all this is that if I have unreal expectations about the future, or if I have expectations about the future that don't line up with sort of the job market or the wage you know, the wage structure of an industry, like I can borrow in ways that could end up hurting me later on down the road. Right. Does that make sense? Like if I think, mm-hmm. if I think I'm going to go into engineering and I think there's a big pot of money at the end of the road, I may choose to borrow more. Um, if I think I'm going to go into communications or marketing, or maybe I think I'm going to go into English, right. Each one of those career trajectories behind those majors come with expectations about what we can do with that. And so if I think the job market's going to be great, I think the earnings are going to be great, I may choose to uh, double down on my borrowing while I'm in school thinking there's going to be some pot of gold later. And again, most of the math tells us, right, that like getting to that pot at the end of the rainbow is feasible and possible. It just typically takes longer than, um, that, than most of us think it's going to take. Yeah. Well, I know too, I think that plays in a lot with like, law school or medical school, like, you know, the amount of debt that people will take on with that expectation. And it's just like, like you said, it's not guaranteed. And, you know, if it does happen, it it could take a while to happen uh, in the way that you think it's uh, going to. So, because I think that segues, you know, a little bit more sort of like, you know, as like a, you know, uh, economist, you know, with that background that you have, like there's sort of economic policies that are, I think, working to try to address these issues it's sort of like on both ends of uh sort of the cycle of like because uh, you have sort of the quote-unquote just like free college uh, sort of movement or a lot of discussions about debt forgiveness uh, which obviously are impactful for people either you know on the front end or the back end of their uh, higher education journeys and stuff so you know there's there's just really big forces at play here um but I'm sure, again, it's one of those things I just feel like I've been saying a lot lately. It's just like, you know, things are not as simple as they might appear on their face. Like there's just a lot of nuance. So what do you think are kind of the most important things for people to know about these two policies? Because the ones that are just definitely they have a lot of sizzle to them. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you maybe have uh, right. uh, some nuance to add to both of them. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, let, Let's start with free college, right? Like, I think... I think if there was something that I would hope people would walk away uh, when they hear about free college is the recognition that, you know, in fact, nothing is free, right? Free in this respect just simply means someone else is paying for it, right? We want college to be free for a certain class of people that we think would 
benefit the most from higher education, but somebody still has to pay for that, right, at the end of the day. And so if the student doesn't end up paying for that, the question then becomes, well, who, who could pay for that and who should pay for that? Right. Who could pay for that could be anything from taxpayers to, you know, scholarship funds to endowments, all kinds of clever resources. Right. There's a lot of different ways to help pay for free college. Um, I don't think we have a good handle yet on who uh, would do that. One of the big challenges with free college. Right. Is that, um, you know, typically when we think about this discussion, uh, it's a public sector discussion. We think about free college being something for public higher education. So, um, you know, we talk a lot about community college, making, you know, making, uh, making community college free, for example, or in some cases talking about making four-year schools free, but we're talking about four-year public colleges. So, you know, about a third of students don't go to public colleges, right? Like that's almost a third of students go to private nonprofit colleges. Right. And so what about them? Right. Is one of those questions. Um, if I, uh, if I academically am able to get into a really good private university, should I not be entitled to free college as much as the person who goes to the local community college? Um, it, there's a lot of questions around um, who we're making it free for, but like, who should we make it free for? So I think the debate when it comes to free is very nuanced, right? We want to help people who clearly would benefit the most from getting a college education. We want college to be a mobility, you know, move you up the mobility ladder. Um, the question is always one of, you know, there's only a limited pile of money to make that happen. And so who we should be helping, how we should be helping, that's where all the discussion is. And those aren't easy things to answer. While free college feels good as a slogan, when you really dig down into it, when you only have a scarce pool of resources and you're trying to figure out who should get the free college and how it should be done, it becomes a really hard discussion to have. And that's where I think policymakers and researchers and pundits really get bogged down. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about debt forgiveness, right? Like debt forgiveness is a different order challenge, right? Because now we're not talking about helping somebody get into college. We're helping somebody who's already gone through college. Right. And so the question then with debt forgiveness is like, is it a good idea? Um, Would it help some of those who need it? Sure. Would it help some who don't need it? Sure. Right. Like what happens if we give somebody debt forgiveness, but still leave uh, the borrowing spigot open? Right. Like, you know, just just because we make a point in time decision to forgive debt doesn't mean that everybody who enrolls in college tomorrow isn't going to still be taking on and accumulating more debt to begin with. And so I think one of the biggest challenges with debt forgiveness is that it solves it sort of it solves the problem of like imagine pouring a bucket of paint on the floor. Right. Like debt forgiveness would be the equivalent of like mopping the paint up without thinking about the fact that like maybe another bucket is already pouring out to begin with afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? Like you mopped the floor, but you didn't stop the spill from continuing to happen. So did you fix something or did you just prolong something? And so again, while debt forgiveness feels good, there's a lot of nuanced challenges to it. Um, There's a reason why we debate these things. There's a reason why um, we haven't been able to sort of settle on whether whether debt forgiveness is in fact a good idea. And let's, let's also not forget, right? Like 
you know, folks who go to college to begin with enjoy an economic advantage. They earn more money. They typically get jobs um, that are more stable, more white collar, more room to grow into. Um, and uh, not everybody also goes to college either. So if we're going to give uh, debt forgiveness, we're forgiving the debt of people who already have an economic advantage in the labor market. And we're also giving an economic advantage to only a fraction of the population because the fact is, is a lot of people still don't go to college, right? And so when we think about debt forgiveness as a way to sort of help American families, you know, there's a lot of families out there who never went to college. And the question is, well, don't they deserve some kind of economic relief as well? Why would we choose to focus on giving relief to people who, by virtue of having college degrees or some college training, already have sort of a leg up in the job market space? So in both of these cases, there's no easy, they, they, they feel like cut and dry topics if you really just surface brush them. But if you take the time to sort of think about some of the challenges, there's some really good arguments for and against both free college and debt forgiveness um, that really show that there's no clear cut answer. If there was a clear cut answer, we probably would already have policy based on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of a lot of the debate around like, uh, you know, as of the recording of this, there's a, uh, you know, a forthcoming, probably, uh, you know, another relief bill uh, due to like the pandemic and everything. And there's always just like, who deserves to get like stimulus money and who deserves not to. And those sort of yeah. things, like, you know, there's the idea of like the idea of fairness has many interpretations. Like it can be fair, but like everybody gets it. That's fair. Right. It's like it is, but there's some people that get it that don't really need it. Um, sure. And those sort of things. So it's just like, you do have to kind of settle on your idea of fairness. And then, uh, cause I think with what you're saying too, it's the idea that like, well, you know, with budgets, what they are for like states and like federal government, and all that, it's like, you'd have to like raise taxes if you're really going to like, you know, especially like open up everything yeah. wide open. And that often is like, you know, uh, very harmful politically for a lot of people to say like, oh, we're raising taxes on everybody, you know, um, or they're, even, they're, even as like people, it's like on principle, they, you know, people like push back on that. That's right. There, there, there really is like for, for every, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? You can't just, you, you, you can't grow money out of nothing, right? You typically, money for something means money not going to something else. And, um, you know, public dollars being what they are, right? We would love to invest in education. We would love to invest in uh, helping people's futures. But at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of other public issues, whether that be roads, whether it be child care, uh, whether it be health care, right, that also want a piece of the public dollar pie. And so, you know, taxpayer dollars feel really large until you think about all the things that they're meant to fund. And then you realize at the end of the day that, like, in fact, the amount of money that we can spend on higher education um, never is enough for what we really wish we could spend on it which is why Pell hasn't ever really grown. I mean, people have been talking about, you know, doubling the Pell grant for, I don't know, 20 years now, at least, right? There's a reason why we haven't been able to boost Pell funding. And it's not for what, it's just simply where do the dollars come from to make that happen? So. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, that's the idea. Like, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to raise taxes. Like we all agree on that. So like, so then what are we going to cut? It's like, and everybody's still just kind of like wringing their hands. Like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't want to cut anything. Cause that's also like harmful politically. Um, so you're kind and of like in a and that's one of the challenges with like, I think when we, when you see proposals for free college or loan forgiveness 
that sort of do things like say, well, we'll pay for it within, you know, an ultra wealth tax, for example. It's like, sure, that's great. We could pay for that with an ultra wealth tax. But, you know, if if you were to successfully implement an ultra wealth tax, you know, don't think for a second that, you know, if you suddenly have a new pot of money that like policymakers are going to think, oh, well, let's spend that on giving, you know, kids free access to community college, right? Like an ultra wealth tax will have legislators lining up outside the door to say, hey, I've got bridges and roads that are crumbling and falling apart. And, you know, we'd love to have, you know, a better healthcare system. Like, I don't think it's as simple when you see a lot of these proposals who just simply say, you know, we're going to tax the wealthy more. Um, Sure, like that's a way to pay for it. But I think if even if you're able to build a new pot of dollars like that. Uh, I don't think we should be fooled into thinking that like there aren't a lot of other public projects when you stand them up against, you know, if I said, Hey, you know, Dustin, would you rather have free community college or better healthcare? You know, what would you choose? Right? Like, I think a lot of people care about their health and other people might say, you know what, community college isn't expensive to begin with and it doesn't benefit everybody. And so maybe we want to spend that on health instead. And those are the kinds of dilemmas that I think um, policymakers face, but also, again, researchers and pundits face as they sort of think about the trade-offs for these big ticket poly- policy proposals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely... It's a tough one because I think the thing that I think of, um, I just wanted to mention quickly with like... Um, free college that I've heard often is like, well, sure, you know, you allow somebody to get in without having to kind of front any payment for tuition and those sort of things, but there's still expenses in terms of like, well, where are you going to live? You need school supplies, textbooks, like, you know, so it's like room and board and, you know, all these other kind of things. And, you know, thankfully some institutions do have like, you know, like emergency aid, like, you know, kind of the supplemental assistance that they can give to students, but, you know, it's, it's just not scalable in the way that would, uh, maybe have the full impact and it would be the idea that, yeah, like people who have the means are like, cool, great. I get, you know, uh, tuition paid for and they'll enroll in those sort of things. So it, it just like, I, I'm optimistic and hopeful because I, I believe in these kind of policies because they, they feel sure. very like, you know, uh, like you said, they, they just feel good. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's that idea of like that we've just been kind of uh, going back and forth on them for some time. So, but they feel, yeah, but they feel good and they should feel good because there are people who could benefit from both, right? There are people who most definitely could benefit from having access to free college. And there are people who could most definitely benefit from having uh, student loan debt forgiveness, right? Like, I think, again, like the challenge is, is not that we don't, we as a society don't want to give these things out. Uh, it's just when you're faced with scarce resources, like you really have to draw some really tough lines as to who gets it and who doesn't, because unfortunately the pool just isn't big enough to give everybody everything. And that's typically with most social policy, the challenge, right? We just, if we can't do it for everybody, we have to design some kind of rules or heuristics for figuring out who should get it and who shouldn't. And that's that's most of the social outrage that you read in, you know, in, in social media today, right? It's somebody taking a position on who's more deserving or less deserving. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely right. Um, well, then, with all that being said, I mean, you know, looking towards the future, like, what are you keeping an eye on when it comes to this topic in terms of, yeah, like these potential policies? What you think might be more or less likely, or just like, I don't know, like where where is the wind blowing? I guess from uh, from your perspective. Yeah. So I. Th- I think when 
when we talk about looking ahead for higher education, right? Like college costs are what they are, right? If there was a way to make the price of college substantively cheaper for families, right? There's more than 5,000 colleges in this country. If, if there was a way to truly slash the price of college, at least one school would have found a sustainable way of doing that, right? Just for a competitive advantage standpoint. So I think we should accept the fact that, right, like college tuition is what it is, right? It's probably going to still creep up. Um, schools will still face pressure to sort of justify the costs that they, or the, the prices that they charge. So I think what we're probably bound to see going forward are two things. Um, I think we're going to see more students and families pushing for things like upfront all-in pricing. Like I said before, this idea of like having to pay for college every single year and go through this guessing game of how much I'm going to need, how much I'm going to finance, you know, oh, I missed a deadline this year, so I don't get my state grant, which means suddenly this year I have to get a loan, right? Like all of those things are challenges and headaches. And I think one way for schools from an enrollment standpoint to recruit more and better students is to be more transparent to give people more fixed upfront pricing so that they can budget for it right like don't tell me it's going to cost me five hundred dollars a credit hour uh tell me if i want to get a bachelor's degree that it's going to cost me thirty six thousand two hundred dollars right and now i know this is how much it's going to cost me no matter what i do and i'm going to go figure out a way to pay for it right the same way we don't tell people hey if you want to buy this car um, you have to, you know, we're going to charge you six dollars, you know, or we're going to charge you fifty cents a mile, and then we're going to make you finance it every year based on that. We tell people this is the all-in price for the car, and you can finance it. I think that's one thing that's going to change over time because I think the confusion doesn't serve institutions, and the confusion definitely doesn't serve students. So I think what we're bound to see is a way of paying for college that eventually will just become simpler. Um, it needs to become simpler because people are having harder and harder times trying to figure out what they're buying, what they're paying for, and how to finance it. And so we're going to hit a breaking point soon, sooner rather than later. Um, I think the second thing that we're going to see, and I think we're going to see this even sooner, is I think if I'm a college or a university and I want to demonstrate that I'm affordable or or a better bargain, I think one of the things that we're probably going to see is schools increasingly focusing on how much it costs in tuition to go to a school versus how much the cost of attendance is and including all of those things like living expenses and books and, and dining hall plans and, you know, allowances for transportation costs and the like, right? Like at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to say, Hey, go to my school. And for $16,000, you know, intuition, you can get a bachelor's degree rather than say, hey, go to my school where the cost of attendance is $28,000 a year and spend $100,000 to get a bachelor's degree. So I think what we're more likely to see is institutions probably to start touting, you know, how much it costs to actually get training from their school and then separating out like all of those sort of indirect ancillary things, right? I think it's just an easier way to help sell the case that, you know, some people don't want room and board and some people don't need transportation costs. And to the extent that the pandemic has done anything, it's probably 
helped a lot of folks realize, you know what, I don't even need to be on campus, right? Like maybe virtual is more of an option than I ever thought it would be. And so I think what we're going to see is just more effort to focus selling higher education on the price of the services rather than this whole larger experience. Because some people just want to buy an education, other people want to buy an education experience. And those are two different things. And the latter is a lot more expensive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because I think we've seen too, you know, just this past year has been very like intriguing to me because I think it's shown people that things are possible that people thought maybe weren't uh, or, or you know, would be too hard or something. But um, because I think you've seen a lot of, you know, institutions like roll back uh, any like tuition increases that you might have had or just, you know, manage price in a different way because, you know, obviously it's always just constantly gone up. But yeah, just even that idea of like if you're, you're kind of like buying into like a package of like, hey, we'll, we'll guarantee a tuition rate at the rate of which, you know, when you started, like it, it's not going to increase year over year. And, you know, I think just seeing institutions play around with that. And because um, like in my experience, I think in some of the smaller like, you know, credentials, like certificates and stuff like they'll say like, yeah, if you want to get this certificate, it's like, you know, this much money for the whole thing. And, you know, it just shows that it's like this much per course or something like it. And there's that idea where it's like, oh, OK, yeah, that's that's the price for the whole thing. Great. Um, and, and they have a certain level of like uh maybe certainty or control over like that, uh, that pricing and stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like a big undercurrent is just like simplifying things. Like it has just become so complex. Uh, it'd be refreshing just to have a little bit more, uh, simplicity here for sure. If you think about just how as consumers we've become, right? Like if there's one thing technology has done for us, it's, um, it's created, um, it's created an environment where consumers have become accustomed to uh, very simplified, streamlined experiences, right? Like we don't want to wait for an answer. We want to be able to open our phone, click a couple buttons and get an answer. And we want that to happen on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. And we want that to happen on a Saturday at 1 a.m., right? And so experiences that are burdensome and complicated and wear us down, uh, we're really quick to jettison, I think, today in a way that, uh, we never were before because too many in, in too many cases, like there's probably some better option out there that's going to be more streamlined and easier to use. And we see that in the school case, right? Like we see, you know, there are colleges that do a really good job of being super responsive to their students' needs, right? And being hyper responsive to helping people figure out how to pay for college, get in the door, get their courses scheduled. They get it. Like they get that. You know, in the same way that a car dealer will, you know, almost never wants somebody to go home, right? Like no car dealer, no car salesman wants to spend two hours with somebody and then have that person say, well, I'm going to go home and go get some information because they know that the moment you think about it and that the drags out, there's reasons you won't come back. Schools understand that as well. Schools understand that if you make the experience seamless and easy and you remove the you, you remove the obstacles, I can do what I said at the top of the hour here, which is, you know, focus on the learning and not let the financing get in the way of the whole reason why I'm doing this to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost that idea of like, don't let me overthink it. Like I clearly wanted to do this, you know, however long ago, like you said, with a car, it's like, don't let me, you know, yeah, just sit and stew on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really compelling the idea of like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that is really just like the driving force that I would hope people really take to heart is like, we want these people, you know, these potential students who are 
earnestly, maybe, you know, just trying to uplift their life and kind of live out that promise of higher education, uh, you know, let's make that, you know, let's remove as many points of friction that we can in that. It certainly is a big investment. It's very complex. There's a lot of moving pieces, but um, I think anymore, there's just so many opportunities because like, because I think of, um, I guess like an interesting parallel because like <laughs> I just did it recently of like when you file your taxes, which like that still also needs, I think, to be, you know, simpler. Right. But like there's certainly a now like competitive market incentive to like uh, make that super simple. Like there's a lot of you know platforms that you can choose from to exactly. uh, file your taxes and stuff. So like, yeah, um, and I guess, like, you know, if people want to learn more, you know, it's always nice to be able to share out uh resources. So I'm curious, um, anything that you would want to make sure to kind of give a tip of the hat to that we could uh, share out in the show notes for this episode? You know, I mean, I think, I think there's been a slate of of books that have come out in the past year, including by, uh, you know, by Ron Lieber and, and, uh, and Josh Mitchell, you know, around student aid that, that are worth looking into. Um, you know, there's some great researchers out there like Robert Kelchin, for example, who's been very thoughtful about the policy issues around these things, definitely worth following. I think, um, you know, again, there's there's people and there's ideas out there. It's really hard to it's really hard to pick, you know, preferred preferred resources at this point. Um, but I would say that there's some good people out there studying some good things. And I think if you were to go into, you know, for example, Twitter and keyword in higher ed, you're going to find half a dozen to a dozen thought leaders who uh, who offer some really fair, balanced insights into these issues that will just make you a smarter person at the end of the day. Whether you're a researcher or a pundit who cares about these issues, or you're just the casual observer who just wants to be more informed. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, just uh, appreciate the name drops, and we'll uh, link out to those folks uh, for sure. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, as we always do, just kind of wrapping up the episode with any final thoughts, calls to action uh, to end the episode on. So kind of the floor is yours, however you want to take that to uh, just wrap things up. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, again, thanks for having me. It's 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 great to talk about these issues. And, you know, like like we've sort of covered here, right? Like there's no set answers here. Like a lot of these things when it comes to education or debate, right? There's trade-offs, there's pros and cons. Um, if there were clear cut, you know, answers, we probably would have adopted them or taken advantage of them. And the fact that the fact that these things aren't clear cut means that even if you feel strongly about an issue, chances are uh, there's some good reason why um, somebody else may feel otherwise. But I think, you know, if we're going to push forward, like the goal, the goal has to be to help people get educations and people get education so that they could get employment. So, you know, we need to help make students be better shoppers. We need to give them better information. We need to, again, help prevent the actual financing from getting way of the experience itself, right? Like uh, the simpler we can make things, the easier we can make things, the easier it is on students who struggle to plan, right? We like predictability. We like to be able to plan and budget for things. And if we want to make that work for people, if we want people to be able to get college educations and not feel like they're drowning in debt and we want to make people feel like they're getting a bargain, we have to help them figure out what it costs and we have to help them figure out how to pay for it. And we have to do that in a very transparent way. And some of those things can be done from a policy perspective by, again, sort of creating creating ways to price 
college so that consumers understand it. Uh, part of that is coming up with ways to create consumer tools to help people become better shoppers. And part of that is to help give schools the tools that they need to support students as they go through the process. Because a lot of the times, you know, even, even under the best circumstances, right, anything that takes years to do uh, means that there's lots of other things that can interfere, um, you know, between the start of the race and the end of the race. And like we have health issues and we have employment issues and we have children and we have other things that happen in our lives. And so we need to be able to help people accommodate the life around their college experience. And not all that gets solved with financing, but again, to the extent that we can make financing easier, you know, that's one less thing that people have to worry about. And if one less thing to worry about means one more person getting through the process, I think at the end of the day, everybody wins. So, Absolutely. I think it's very well said. And I just appreciate how thoughtful you are about this, uh, because I think it what I'm sort of sitting with is that like, this is a very complex issue that is going to require complex solutions. You know, it's not just going to be like, oh, if we just do free college, that's the silver bullet. It's just going to solve all the problems. And like, you know, we can just sort of pat ourselves on the back and move on. It's, it's like you said, it, it is as much about, you know, helping students uh, finance as it is about helping students to uh, succeed while they're, uh, you know, in their studies, you know, at college and all of that. So there's just, a lot to consider here. I, I, I'm very happy that we I feel like we've uh, covered quite a bit and uh, just appreciate, again, your uh, your thoughtfulness and all that you shared and um, just appreciate your time. So um, we'll have ways to connect with you and all that you talked about uh, down in the show notes as usual. But uh, yeah, just thank you so much. Yeah, Dustin, thanks for having me again. I really enjoyed the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.